Well, um, uh, good morning to you. I'd like to add my welcome to you, uh, to Kings. And um, back to the series, uh, Follow Me. And on this occasion, we're gonna, I'm going to pick up on, uh, uh, on this occasion, marriage. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke on singleness and the challenges and opportunities that singles face. Uh, today, we're going to look at some of the challenges and opportunities uh, we face if we're married. And marriage in our culture is in decline. And so you know, through this whole series of Follow Me, we're looking what's happening in our culture, how's our culture responding to change, and how does that line up with what the Scripture teaches? Well, uh, marriage is in decline. So in 2001, 50% of the population are married. Now, 2011, it's 45%. Probably the biggest change has been in the fact that people just live together now. Um, in the 60s, if you live with someone, it was... Looked down on, it was, you know, some shame associated. Now it's kind of like a good idea. I mean, before you get married, why don't you trial it for a bit, is the kind of thinking. Um, and then if it doesn't work out, you can jump ship. Now, of course, that <laughs> can sound great in theory, but you've got people involved, and sometimes children involved, and emotions involved, and finances involved. And the kind of ongoing sort of relational breakdown does no one any good. And we've developed a kind of system called serial monogamy. You're kind of with someone for a while, and then when you find out that they're not exactly how you hoped they would be, and when they find out that you're not exactly how they hope you would be, people jump ship. And that's what's happening in our culture. Marriage has been, ultimately, what is marriage? has been redefined legally. As Christians, we believe Genesis says that a man and a woman will leave their family and come together and be one and be one flesh. But legally now, a Christian position is on the wrong side of the law for the first time. It's such a cultural shifts in, uh, in this nation, and, and particularly in, in Western secular world. It's therefore into this, that, uh, this kind of shifting ocean of culture that we have to teach. And we, those of us who are married, have to navigate uh, through. Tim Keller who wrote our favorite book on marriage called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. Tim Keller leads a phenomenal church in New York, big church there. Do you know, can you understand this? As a pastor, occasionally you'd like to tell people what they should do. Can you understand that? You'd like to, because you know it's for their good. Yeah? And if I could, though I can't, because we also would teach free will, personal conscience, and all stuff like that. Okay? That's, 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 that's really important value, okay? But if I could, I'd get every married person to read this book. In fact, it, for Christmas, I'd like, you know, I'd say, oh, please read this book, The Meaning of Marriage, uh, because it would do you good. It'd be good for your marriage. Read it. You can see, look, this is ours. This is well-read and well-traveled. And um, can I encourage you? He says in the book, marriage used to be a public institution for the common good, and now it's a private arrangement for the satisfaction of the individuals. Marriage used to be about us, but now it's about me. But ironically, this new view of marriage actually puts a crushing burden on expectations on marriage and on spouses in the way that the more traditional understanding never did. And it leaves us desperately trapped between the both unrealistic, unrealistic longings for and the terrible fears about marriage. 
So marriage now has moved in our culture. It's like, oh right, if I find the perfect person out there, and if I marry them, they're going to meet all my needs, and I'm going to be happy. Okay, that is the kind of um, the kind of foundation of marriage. That's the kind of expectation. The trouble is, is that setting every marriage up for failure. Because as you get married, what happens? You'll find out that you're not perfect. And by the way, nor is the person you're married to. And they will disappoint you. And you will disappoint them. And therefore, when you get into any conflict, you kind of think, well, this, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up to be happy and married. Not married and in conflict. There must be a better match somewhere. And so people jump ship and go round and round and round. And uh, sadly, that's what our culture is experimenting on with all the fallout, emotional and financial and kids. So, um, back to the, the Bible. So that's our culture. Back to the Bible. I spoke at 1 Corinthians 7 just uh, two weeks ago on singleness. Now we're going to look at it through a marriage lens uh, and remind you of the context. The context is a church in Corinth that is surrounded by immorality and the church drifts into asceticism, which is basically anything that is physical is not holy. And so therefore, they get to a point where even if you're married, you're not having sex. That's, in fact, we'll, what we'll do to resist the way of the world, we'll go uh, uh, so pure to that actually get into error. And that is what um, Paul's addressing. So now for the matter you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry. But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman her own husband, and the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I I am. Each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And now I'm going to pick up in verse 32 and verse 35. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in her, both her body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Amen. Okay. Uh, And um, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And I said two weeks ago, I'll make comment on the first few verses which is some of the verses that are most abused, actually. Uh, and uh, just wrong teaching about uh, the way a husband and wife relate when making love. And so it, it goes like there is some strain of Christian teaching that a good Christian wife never says no to making love. Okay? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay? And... And what would happen, this passage would be used, along with others, to say, look, things like this. Look, the Bible says that your body's uh, not yours anymore, it's mine. And actually, if you flow in a good dose of submission, which is a completely misinterpretation of Ephesians 5, 
that there are situations where men would say, just like, I'm, you know, you're my wife. You have a duty, which is within the passage, yeah, a responsibility. And so um, it leads to a situation where a Christian wife can feel like she can't say no. Well, I want to tell you something. Yes, you can. Okay? Yes, you can. That's a good catchphrase. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. It could catch on somewhere. Yes, you can say no. I mean, you might want to say yes. Yeah? And it might be the other way around. But, uh, you know, the wife is saying to her husband, come on, make love to me. Um, you know. I'm a modern man. That works for me, you know. Uh, so, um, but it is a hugely misused kind of teaching and actually just flows into the abuse of women it's outrageous uh, and the key kind of phrase in there is the one of mutual consent which empowers both men and women so you can say no it's good to say yes though yeah? um, I always think that Rick Warren is really helpful on this I've used this quote before I like this quote I'll probably use it again when he says when it comes to frequency marriage, marriage, it says, depending on the season of life and how old you are, it's something like this. Try weekly. T-R-I, weekly. Try weekly. That says you're getting a bit older. And then lastly, try weekly with an A instead of an E. Yeah, try weekly. Oh, wow. So, so exciting. Anyway. But the key thing is the principle of mutual <laughs> consent. Now, really, what I want to do now is focus in on the phrases, uh, how you can please your husband, how you can please your wife. Um, and what happens is the moment you get married, after that kind of oh, sort of season, you suddenly realize, actually, uh, being a good husband and a good wife, it, it, it comes with a real challenge. Mainly because it starts to reveal stuff about you that you are unaware of. Tim Keller says in the book, The Meaning of Marriage, marriage does not so much bring into confrontation, uh, you into confrontation with your spouse as confront you with yourself. Marriage shows you a realistic, unflattering picture of who you are and then takes you by the scruff of the neck and forces you to pay attention to it. Because suddenly, you see, before you get married, it's not that you haven't got some edges. It's just most of the time can, people can keep a long way away from your edges. When you get married, you just can't put up a, a good show forever and a day. In the end, the person you are just bumps into the person that you're close to. And the person they are, they bump into you and it starts to reveal stuff in you that you are totally unaware that was there and it's kind of reflected back and it's happening to both people at the same time. Deb and I thought that, well, I thought actually you'd much prefer to hear Deb speak on marriage than what I have to say because I've talked on marriage for years here and I've always edited and sort of made sure that what I say means that I come out looking okay. But I thought on this occasion <laughs> that we get Deb's up and uh, get her to give a little bit of perspective. I have signed off on it, but she <laughs> tendency goes ad-libs. So we'll just, we'll, we'll cut that out if that happens. But anyway, love, you know, free, free, just roll, roll. <laughs> just, 
I'm praying, I'm praying here, just so you know, I'm praying behind. Well, I've got the platform, haven't I, so I can say what I like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, that's true. Yeah, I'm just going to share a little bit about some of my reflections on the first few years of marriage in particular. Um, Steve and I have been married over 26 years now, and we'd actually known each other a good five years before we got married. I worked out recently that I've known Steve most of my adult life. And um, we're actually a classic case of opposites, attract, opposites attracting. You know, we are very different in personality. Um, Steve's an extrovert, I'm much more of an introvert. We've got differences in interests. You know, he loves sports. I'm a bit indifferent to sports, to be honest. Unbelievable, but and, carry on. You know, I, I, yeah, I love reading and literature and things like that. But, you know, we... We knew each other really well. We talked a lot about our differences. We were great friends. We thought we'd do okay, you know? We knew what we were in for. And, you know, without doubt, there were many fantastic aspects to being married. It was just great to be together, to be able to spend time together, build our lives together, build a home together. It was fantastic. But I definitely discovered things about myself and also about Steve, that I hadn't really anticipated. And, um, you know, particularly some of the stuff you discover about yourself, it's not always that great. So just a few examples. I discovered that I was a lot less tolerant than I'd realised. I'd never really thought of myself... I feel good about this. Keep going, love. It's good. <laughs> this is a good bit, this section. Pressing. <laughs> I'd never really thought of myself as a particularly tidy person, but Steve is definitely not a tidy person at all. And I found that once I was married, it was one thing to cope with untidiness in yourself, it was quite another to cope with untidiness in somebody else. And I could get really annoyed by things like that. I found that I could be a lot more bad-tempered than I'd ever realised. Just to give you an example, I... I used to work as a housing officer when we first married. I, used to, I worked for the local authority. It could be quite stressful dealing with some difficult people. Steve was working as a youth pastor at the church that we attended in Bedford. And one of the things that he and some of the other youth leaders initiated was holding an open house every Thursday afternoon for all the young people to come and pile around our house so that they could just hang out and have fun. You know, it's great. Well... That was fine, except I would come home from a busy day at work about half five, six o'clock, and I'd walk into my hallway, and it would be full of smelly teenage trainers, and then I'd walk into the house, and it's full of teenagers, and there'd be cups and plates everywhere. And I'll be honest, I wasn't always that welcoming and gracious about it. I could be a bit bad-tempered. And then there were other areas I realised I could be quite demanding. My dad, bless him, he used to, when I was growing up, he used to get up every morning and he'd make everybody a cup of tea and bring it to us in bed to wake us up. It was fantastic. And I thought that that's what husbands did. <laughs> but the trouble was, nobody had told Steve okay, that. Let's, uh, <laughs> just, just, uh, I think I'm, I've, I've got an eye on the clock, Deb. Uh, so, you know, people want to get home for their lunch. I think we should just move on a bit here. Let's move this forward, keep the pace up. So, you know... I had to keep reminding him that that's what husbands did. I still have to keep reminding yeah, okay, him Okay, all right, that, okay. That is, <laughs> I think you made your point. You've got to be on your notes. Carry on. Okay. And then the 
other thing that can be surprising is that those very differences between you that have initially attracted you can start to cause some conflict. So I, I love being married to an extrovert as an introvert. You know, he brought me out of myself a little bit more. I could sometimes hide behind him a little bit. But then there'd be other times I think, oh, he's just really loud. <laughs> he can be a bit insensitive at times. And he'd be thinking, gosh, he's just really oversensitive. You know, can't you get over it? It would cause a little bit of rub between us. And I was surprised by that. I was surprised by how much conflict could arise over sometimes very trivial things, um, but occasionally much more major issues. And the fact is that if you bring two people together, no matter how alike they may appear to be at first, they're going to come with different backgrounds, different histories, different expectations, sometimes different values, and there is going to be some stress and conflict at times. It's inevitable. What happened to us was that our self-awareness definitely increased massively through being married. All those personality traits which, as Steve has said, when you're single, you know, they don't really bother anyone, maybe family and friends a bit, but you can kind of steer around those. When they're put in the context of an intimate relationship, they can become real problems. I think looking back now, I'm just so glad that we made the effort and took the time to talk and work things through. Sometimes it could be difficult, it could be painful, and you know, you you don't always resolve things straight away. But at the other side of it, there's massive benefit. Mm. And I think what has happened for us, our, our testimony would be that marriage has just got better and better. And I think what happens if you have that kind of relationship where you're committed to it, you end up being both deeply known and deeply loved. You know, Steve knows all my funny quirks and my faults, but he loves me anyway. And I know all his, you know, he has got some. (laughs) But I love him anyway. You know, and that's what's so wonderful about marriage. Brilliant, Deb. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Just just amazing. Amazing. So it says in my notes I'm supposed to share something that I'm not very good at now, but I just can't think of anything off the top of my do you head. Do you want a few ideas? No, it's okay. <laughs> I'll, 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 no, just think. Um, so, uh, the house. When we first got married, I bought a house early on. I was 21. I bought my first house, and I was fortunate to be able to do that. But it was purely a financial investment. I was travelling light. I'm serving God. Okay. I, if I get an income, I'm investing it in property, I'm saving, and I'm giving money. That is what I'm doing. And so we moved into a house. The house was built in the 50s. I bought, when I bought it, it was still decorated like it was in the 50s. All right. And Deb came and got married, and after about a year, she just she sat me down, tears in her eyes. She said, could we please spend some money on the house? It's <laughs> okay, you know, rain's not coming it in. Grim. It was grim. <laughs> we actually did a room once. I still don't really get this, but and we did a room once, and I remember you saying, we got this phrase called curtains. You said you want to put new curtains up, and I went, curtains? Well, they're the existing curtains are fine. No, they're not. Okay, so <laughs> I, I wasn't very good when it came to things like that. Now, Deb's a brilliant homemaker, and so if you ever come around our house, it's beautiful. But um, now, nah. uh, the other one would be in communication, just mm. in communication. So self-awareness, so critical. I am in my Myers-Briggs and ESTJ, which simply means is what you see is what you get. I mean, this is it. I mean, it doesn't go any deeper. It's like, you know, uh, uh, this is as clear. I'm, I'm crystal clear. When I say something, that is what I... I and it's very clear. In fact, at one level, it's uncomplicated. 
other people that may be a different sort of personality, they say something, but there's loads of other stuff going on internally, and you find out that. About. So Deb and I would be talking about something, and I would just say a stray comment. Bang, bang, bang. Oh, in, you know, a really sensitive person. I mean, we'd close down, and then we wouldn't be dealing with the issue we started with. We'd be dealing with the breakdown of communication. If you're married, you then... And then what happens? You do like that, and then someone gets a bit hurt, and so they throwing a hand grenade from some other... You know, You're going to hurt me. What about that when we did that? You know, think, what's that got to do with this? And before you know it, you're going around in circles. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so you've got to learn to navigate these things through. Debs, you want to grab a seat and come back. I'm in a moment. So, uh, and therefore, what happens is when you get married, this is critical. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Um, in uh, Tim Keller's book, he, he quotes this a long quote. I'm just going to do it, just not going to use the whole of the quote, but I think it makes its point. He says, the, merger, the merged life of marriage brings you into the closest, most inescapable contact with another person possible. And that means not only that you see each other close up, but that you are forced to deal with the flaws and the sins of one another. And what are those flaws that your spouse will see? Well, you may be a fearful person with a tendency towards great anxiety. You may be a proud person with a tendency to being opinionated and selfish. You may be an inflexible person with a tendency to be demanding and sulking if you don't get your own way. You may be an abrasive or harsh person who people tend to respect more than they love. And his list goes on and on and on. He says you may be undisciplined. You may be um, a perfectionist. Uh, you may be impatient and irritable. You may be an independent person. Uh, you may be a person that likes to be liked too much, a pleaser. And you've got all these dynamics uh, are going on and you can't hide them anymore uh, because you're in marriage together. And so the purpose of this message was actually for some of you here who are single, you might be sitting thinking, all right, okay. Hearing this, maybe I will stay single after all. And some people <laughs> do do that, and they're very happy to do that. And that's fine. That's what we were speaking on two weeks ago. Um, for some of you, this isn't theoretical. This is daily challenge. Which is why Paul speaks to those that are married and repeats it. Remain in the situation you're in. As Christians, stay together. Work it out. Um, because there are huge benefits to marriage. Huge. All research shows that a marriage done well is hugely beneficial. It's good for your physical health. It's good for your financial health. It's good for your mental health. All research says that happily married people have more sex and better sex than anyone else. It's good. It's good. So it's worth investing in. It is. Ultimately, it's about companionship. It's about being known. In fact, marriage done well means that you, to be loved, even when someone sees you with all your mess. Ah, now that is, that, that's, that's a real deal. To be loved, even when everyone sees you with your frailty and accept you like that, that's the real thing. And ultimately, that's the picture of what Jesus has done for us. Ultimately, you know, marriage won't fulfill all your needs, okay? Jesus can and will. 
Because actually that's the picture of the gospel. That's why the gospel, uh, Paul particularly writes in Ephesians 5, does this parallel between marriage and the relationship between Jesus and the church. Because Jesus has loved you with all your frailty. With all your sin, everything you've mucked up on, he loves you and he sets you as you are and lays his life down for you. That you can know God. Yeah? And that's why the picture of marriage is so paralleled with the gospel and Jesus' relationship with the church. Um, But a great marriage doesn't happen by chance. It happens... You know, with lots of laughter and fun, but also lots of hard work. Um, Someone on the pastoral team said to me uh, just 10 days ago, they said, do you know, we're struggling to get young married, engaged couples to do marriage preparation because they're too busy. I was shocked to be told that as a pastor of this church. I was shocked. I've been so shocked, I'm thinking about making it a policy that we won't marry any young people. If they don't do marriage preparation. Why? Because I'm an old married pastor. Okay. And I know what's involved in building a church. In building a marriage. I know. I know. Because you know. They're all kind of. Oh, he's so lovely. He's so lovely. Oh what a girl. What a girl. And they get married. And it's all like that. And you're pleased for them. But you know. You know that life, life alone is going to throw challenges. It's going to put pressure on this head over the hills couple. And you want them to be equipped with the skills and self-awareness. Um, that's why I'm amazed that when we run the marriage course here, that we're not just sort of inundated with everyone that's married here saying, oh, I must do this again. Yeah? Because what happens is you're changing as a person all the time, and the season of life you're going through is changing all the time. I mean, we are changed now. Is we've got one son that's married, another one in a serious relationship, another one that's going to do his... Uh, uh, exams this year, year 11, uh, uh, elderly parents and new responsibility in work and, uh, and just huge ebb and flow. Wow, we've got to be talking all the time and learning how to adjust. So do, do the marriage course. Read widely. The stakes are so high here when it comes to married life. And hang in there through the seasons uh, when it, it can be difficult. Now, I'm going to close with, I'm going to give you three top tips and then Deb's going to give you five uh, so, uh, on how to build a great marriage. Okay, they're really quick, and then we'll pray and we're done. So my three are this. Make sure you focus on growing yourself as a person. First thing, how often do we project our stuff onto someone else? Very common thing. What happens? So whenever you're thinking or feeling something, think, oh, wait a minute. How much is this my issue? And make sure that, firstly, you're, you're dealing with the plank in your own eye. Yeah? And you really are uh, ensuring you're growing as a person. And ultimately, you find healing in God, not in the other person. If you're looking for this person to kind of tick all your boxes, you're just going to be disappointed because no person can do that. Secondly, time together. We do the marriage course. We teach on it every year. This is the thing that surprises us every year, that... Uh, married Christian married people struggle to get an evening together, just the two of them each week. I think, oh, come on. Why wouldn't you want to be together? Uh, we, d- we definitely, even with all our responsibilities, we definitely do that. And then lastly, most marriages would fly, uh, I think, if my pastoral comment is, ask yourself this question this week. What can I give 
rather than what can I get? And if everyone was, sort of woke up in the morning saying, what can I give rather than what can I get? That would create such positive momentum that most marriages and most issues in marriages would quickly fall into the background because we're there to love like Jesus loves, laying down our agenda for the other person. Debs, you come up, please, love, and just um, make some final comments. Okay, my top tips. My first one actually um, flows out of the, the last one of Steve's about giving, thinking about what you can give rather than what you can get. And it's to learn the concept of the love languages and use it constantly. Now, for those of you who don't know the concept of the love languages, then um, come on the marriage course because you'll find out all about it. Or, if you can't do that, Gary Chapman's book on the five love languages is excellent. But it's basically based on the principle of giving love to your spouse in the way they like to receive it rather than the way you necessarily like to receive it. Um, And then secondly, learn and practice good communication skills. They're really key, and you can get better at them the more you learn and practice. Um, Thirdly, prioritise time together, like Steve. You just can't shortcut these things. Number four, really important, don't avoid the difficult issues. The top four issues that cause conflicts in relationships are sex, money, in-laws, and children. And at some point... In your marriage, those one of those, or maybe even all of them... Yeah, all four at the same time. <laughs> really, great fun. They're going to cause some problems, some issues, some tension. Now, obviously, there's timing involved, but if you're at a stage where you are deliberately avoiding ever talking about some of those things, that's a problem. You, know, you do need to address them, because they can be like a ticking time bomb just sitting there waiting to blow up. And then lastly, know that with God, with commitment and with work... Marriage just gets better and better. Amen. Well done. Okay. Let's pray together, shall we? And uh, we're going to pray for every marriage in, uh, in the church here at King's. So, thank you, God. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for the, the gift of marriage. We thank you for the companionship that comes through it. But Lord, we hope that we've been really real today about some of the real challenges of, of building a great marriage, but also some of the benefits. And uh, so we do pray for every marriage here, Lord, that you would guard it, protect it, that it would flourish where there is conflict, that there would be courage and um, forgiveness and, Lord, resolution. Mm. And we pray, we pray for some people here today that this isn't been a theoretical thing. It's really challenging at the moment. Pray that they'd hang in there and um, work for the growth of the marriage for all its benefits. We pray, particularly those here today that maybe their husband or wife are not here and they're just thinking how to apply this to their own lives. We pray for them. And we really pray for every marriage, that it would flourish and prosper, be a great place for children to be raised up, and that kings would be a place where marriages would be strengthened and protected. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.